You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Monster Talk can be supported by listeners like you at Patreon.com forward slash Monster Talk or by leaving positive reviews on iTunes and other podcasting sites. Learn more at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Thanks to all of you who are supporting us in this way. We are humbled and grateful and hope that we always live up to or exceed your expectations. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Since we started Monster Talk, there's been many topics we've not gotten around to that are directly monster-related. I suppose some of this is because of time constraints, but a lot of it's because I just tend to sort of follow my own interests without giving it a lot of thought. But there's many monsters around the world that I still want us to cover, and some of those are right here in the United States. So I plan to do some episodes on Native American monsters. We'll be taking a deeper look at Native American culture and monster overlap, and episodes discussing the Skinwalker, the Wendigo, and some of the more interesting ways that Native American folklore has been tied into Bigfoot culture. We were contacted by the Seneca Nation Museum, which just moved into a huge new facility, and tribal representative David Shango offered to talk to us about Seneca culture and some of its beliefs, including some monsters that will probably sound familiar. I'm admittedly very ignorant about much of Native American culture across many tribes, so hopefully as David clears up some of my ignorance, it'll be informative to you guys too. I know I learned a lot, but this episode is not very heavy on skepticism. I didn't ask David on to argue about what's literally true or not, but more to hear about his tribe's stories. Some of what we talk about today will be covered in some upcoming episodes in more critical depth, but I want to thank David for his time and stories, and if you find yourself in New York State near Salamanca, Check out the museum. Links to some books, some online Seneca information, and the museum will be in the show notes at monstertalk.org. Monster Talk. Monster Talk. So, David, welcome to the show. And we're hoping that you can just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, to begin with. Um, I was kind of going to go this way and again when he said that 
David ni gaso kanong ka Hawaii di ni gaso ang gawe ka kagayang gaga ohio no tukdongi. I'm I'm betting that's not English. What? <laughs> no, that's our native language. Uh, I'm glad y'all are here. And David is my English name. Uh, Hawaiian D is my Indian name. Uh, the ha part means like I'm sort of insight over there, and the Y and D means like they know him or they're familiar with him. My 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 uh, uh, clan is Beaver, and that I'm from Ohio or for Allegheny Territory. So it's usually how we introduce each uh, when we uh, formally introduce uh, people to ourselves in our own language. So, because uh, a lot of people don't think that we still have our language, but we do. That's uh, awesome. Actually, actually, my daughter spoke Seneca first and then English. So, oh, brilliant! And how many speakers of the language are there at the moment? There's hundreds of different native languages. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear about, you know, like World War Two, you know, most of the Jap or the Navajos are famous for their co-talkers, but our people were more in Germany and they would talk to each other in our, our own language. Some people think that, you know, Indian languages are the same, but they're not. No, no. Yeah. And uh, like, I have no idea how to speak Navajo. Uh, they're way in the desert. We're way up here in the northeast with trees and all that. So totally different environment, totally different languages. Yeah, I think it's like uh, Australian Aboriginal languages. There are about 200 of them. So there's no one Aboriginal language. Yeah, I'm, I, my, my ignorance uh, about uh, Native Americans in general is is, is vast and embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> I. I'm hoping that maybe you can help me clear up some of that today. Uh, and I imagine that a lot of our listeners don't know much about the Seneca people as well. But let's start out talking about uh, your new museum and what's going on with that. So uh, wh- where is this located and, and what's what's in the museum? And, and, and uh, let's talk about that project a little bit. The old museum, we had been there for 40 years. It was built in August 1st, 1977. And so we had a sneak peek August 4th uh, this year. Uh, the old museum was only 10,000 square feet. We were supposed to be there for five years, but 40 years later, we have a new building at 33,000 square feet. My nation, the Seneca Nation, paid $18 million for it to be built. Uh, it's three times bigger than what we were currently in, so it's around 33,000 square feet. We'll hold not only the museum, but our archives, too, so... Uh, it's all humidity controlled, temperature controlled, everything that needs to be done uh, security wise. Uh, in the back, we are in the process of creating a 400 seat amphitheater outside and an Indian market. And then, probably not this fall, but probably in the springtime, we'll start making the longhouse. And over the next couple of years, we'll make a village based on it, uh, the way we lived in the 1600s. Like I said, we still have our language. Uh, we have our own government. So, like, New York is around us. Uh, uh, we have a president, a treasurer. Uh, we have our own court system. Actually, my wife had this last November uh, been elected to be a court of appeals judge. So, things that go into the lower courts, if somebody uh, wants to dispute them, they can go to her court and then. Those three judges will listen to the case and then decide whether or not 
it merits going on further or going back to the lower court. So we have our own elective system. Um, we do government relations with the with the United States and with other countries. Uh, I know a couple months ago I had the um, French ambassador out of Buffalo come to our museum and give him a tour. And so I was happy with that, you know, uh, just getting those kind of connections that uh, I don't think people realize, even in our smart museum, but people from all over the world had uh, come to it. Uh, some people just look forward to talking with us. I think they're a little disillusioned or whatever, because like in the middle of our territory, we have like Tim Hortons and McDonald's. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, some people, you know, they just think that we stayed in, I don't know, dressed like in the 1600s. And so, <laughs> you know, like, well, you're not dressed like a pilgrim now, are you? And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah. People, you know, they think because I dress with blue jeans and stuff like that, that I'm not really native. I'm like, well, your shirt actually probably comes from China, but doesn't make you Chinese, does it? Like, you know, just the way I dress is not always representing who we are. We have our own traditional way of doing things. Uh, like myself, uh, I have long hair to show that I'm masculine. Um, usually when something tragic happens, then we cut our hair. The kids that went to boarding schools, uh, a lot of the boys, when they got their hair cut, uh, they thought that their parents had died, that they were orphaned, and that's why they were there. And later on, when they saw their parents, they were, you know, quite obviously confused as to, like, what was going on. But either the mainstream didn't realize that we uh, had that kind of custom or didn't care at the time, but... Uh, if a girl has two braids, uh, it means that she's uh, single. One braid means that you're married. We have a lot of different kind of customs like that. Like we don't really point with our finger. We point with our lips. Like you stick your lips out to say like it's over there and stuff. So, really? Yeah. It's not buck or whatever pointing with your finger. So when that fad of duck face photos was out, that was like they were all pointing at something. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> I, I feel bad because, like, the only Native American stuff I'm even vaguely familiar with is Cherokee, just because of where I live. And then the Cherokee were driven out, uh, and and I, you know, so all my experience uh, is all about, you know, the Trail of Tears, and uh, I feel, you know, the the way Jackson screwed everybody over. I, I don't know. I'm filled with this mixture of ignorance and shame about the way our country has ended up here, but. Uh, I can you so can you help me like eradicate a little bit of this? Like, where in America? Like, where where is the territory that was traditionally uh, controlled by the Seneca? And and what's the situation now with uh, where, where do you like? You're, it sounds like you got some autonomy, but still within the bounds of the United States. So how does that all work? Well, that's the thing is that uh, like we've given up land, but where I live in Ohio in Allegheny, we've always owned that land. So the United States has never owned our land. Wow. Versus the Cherokee that were uh, moved over to Oklahoma. Yeah. So those are executive reservations. We're uh, traditional homeland treaty reservations. We have treaties with the United States that are still enforceable today. And, and so, like, we don't pay taxes on, like, our land because we're not within the United States. And we don't have a tax system within our Seneca Nation. We use other ways to get money for the government. So... 
we have a whole different other system of economy. Uh, yeah, we do have casinos, but that's not always where we get all our money from. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, rent land and then we, we own other things, other companies. How, how about the local infrastructure? Like, like how do the roads and stuff tie into the... Uh... The, the rest of the state people usually don't know until they see like our signs and then there's stuff written in um in indian um actually ohio comes from ohio uh it's actually spelt the same way and in our language ohio means a beautiful river but that's where ohio comes along so when some people go through our territory and they, they see ohio they think it's ohio and then we have like sahe which in our language means stop so you see the stop sign, and underneath the stop sign is, you know, Sahate. People usually get the general gist that it means to stop. Yeah. You know, there's different places where you'll see different Indian words, or we've had a, uh, our own language department. And so, like, my wife, before she became a judge, she was in the language immersion class. So, from 9 o'clock until 3 o'clock, Monday through Friday, they, that's all they spoke was our own language. To me, when I speak English... It's like watching a 2D movie. When I speak Indian, it's more like watching a 3D movie. We have spatial recognitions and other things that are concepts that aren't um, in English. Like I said, like my name, Hawaii like the ha means like I'm over there within sight. But if I was Tawaii then it would be like I was outer sight. Uh, you know, whatever I'm talking about, I'm here and that's way over there, outer sight. And so. When I talk Indian, I can tell like how far something is to me or how close it is, if it's up high, down low. It's really good for like engineering when you're making something because you can really tell exactly where something is or, you know, it's to the left or to the right or something like that. So based on where you're standing. And then unlike English, like Hawaiian D, my Indian name. I'm the only one in this generation that has that. So there's no no way to not understand like who you're talking to. How many Davids are in the world? I don't know. 100,000 or something, you know? Yeah. But, you know, Hawaiian D, there's just me. And I inherited that, that name. Just like my wife, her name is Digiwa Nets. So it means like two thoughts falling, two things falling. But she inherited that name from her grandmother. Her great-grandmother was Digiwa Nets. And so that's how we pass out our names. It comes to the women's line. And so we have clan mothers. They're the name holders. and They're the ones that give people their name. And then yeah. like our clan system, we did our clan system because when people are new to the world, they didn't realize they weren't going to live forever. And an uh, uh, older man dies and then a young girl dies. and Somebody important in the community died. That's when they realized that we're just here temporarily. So we made our clan system to actually deal with that. So if somebody dies on the animal side, then the bird side takes care of it. So like I said, I'm beaver. My wife is a great blue heron. So ours is a good marriage. Uh, keeps the blood clean. Uh, so you don't really hear too many stories about birth defects within our, our stories. Every once in a while you hear a little bit, but not too much. Uh, anybody in my clan would be considered like a brother or sister. Anybody on my side would be considered like a cousin. Uh, so that's why they get married on the other side. So then that way uh, you're not too close. So there's a, uh, like a cultural taboo against too close to marriage? 
Yeah. Wow. So uh, a turtle and a turtle shouldn't get married to each other. Whether they're Seneca, Mohawk, uh, Onondaga, doesn't matter. Like, I can go to Onondaga and there's Beaver uh, clan there and I just consider them like my family. So if they come over and they need a place to stay, then they come and stay with me. If I need a place to stay, I stay with them. It's one of the how one of the reasons that we were able to have a confederacy. Because uh, in our own language, we call ourselves Haudenosaunee people, a longhouse. And so it's like we all live in one big house together. I think the the differences in ways of talking about time and space in indigenous languages is really interesting. Certainly with uh, American native indigenous languages, there um, it's just so different. Uh, but I'm just curious about the language. Is it endangered? It sounds like there are some revitalization attempts. You were talking about your wife attending school and immersion school. Um, is it endangered? Yeah, when people went to the boarding schools, uh, some people were stolen away from their families and put into boarding school. And so they were punished for speaking the language. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize all the trauma that they went through, but I remember uh, on YouTube, there was a woman, she wondered how come her mother never taught her how to speak her language. And uh, when she got older, she was investigating it. Her aunt said, well, that she had a, uh, her, they had a brother. I guess the brother refused to speak English. And so the nun washed his mouth out with soap. And as she was washing his mouth out with soap, the soap got caught in his throat, choked him, and he died. Wow. So the mother never wanted her children to be punished like that. So that's why she taught her just to speak English and not her native language. So you hear a lot of stories like that. Nowadays, it's more trying to bring back the language. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, We had a similar thing in in Australia, too, with uh, indigenous people. They call it the stolen generation. Uh, Back in the 20th century, I think in the 1950s, a lot of... Aboriginal children were taken away from their parents and uh, put in foster care with white families and um, to this day have not been able to trace their biological families. So it's a very, very sad thing, very terrible thing to happen in our history, very shameful. Yeah, that happened with the First Nations too. Yeah, and it, it happened here. So, I mean, that's where some things get lost or whatever. But one of my jobs as the museum director is to make sure we connect with our culture and so like one of our exhibits is about our oral history and as time has gone on things that they consider myth are actually now being proven to be actually true for example mm-hmm. like in our language we call uh, a pig a uh, boar squish squish and if you look at a hog right a boar you know it has mm-hmm. a tusk it has a snout and then we, um, a little bit of hair and stuff well that like that word that we use for grease grease pig actually goes back probably about 20,000 years ago. Can you think of an animal that was looked like a pig 20,000 years ago? With tusks? Uh, Something with a longer (laughs) nose, you mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I'm I'm going to get in trouble here because I'll probably say the wrong one. I'm going to say mammoths, but it might be mastodons here. I can't remember. There's like no, it was a mammoth. That's that's so. When my ancestors saw the pig, the hog that the uh, Germans and the French brought over, because we have a story, an oral history story about 
one time a, a huge grease grease, a, a mammoth came through and knocked over the palisade and knocked over people's longhouses that they lived in and caused all this uh, trauma. And so, you know, in the 1800s, they didn't believe that there was such a uh, animal. Through anthropology and archaeology, a couple little towns away from us, there's um, Randolph, New York, and they found Macedons there. And so it just collaborates with our oral history story that this isn't a myth. That they were actually around and that yeah, so we actually have a word in our language for them. Yeah. So you think they were like the, the oral history was keeping that alive. Uh, and so when the words were already there, but when the new animal showed up, that was the closest thing. Is that? The, yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, you know, by the way, all this talk about language, I don't know if we mentioned it, but Karen, Karen's background is linguistics. So that's. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, historical linguistics isn't my specialty, but uh, I'm still interested in all of this. But I mean, it's it's such an important thing. Uh, you know, it uh, we uh, it comes up a lot. Uh, a lot of the, the I'm always interested. Oh, when in we're talking about monsters yeah. Yeah. and creatures. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, like in our language, we have uh, Zonoskawa is like a huge blue dinosaur. And now, you know, with Jurassic Park coming out and with those raptors, it's exactly how it's described in our language. So now we know that Zonoskawa is what our ancestors called those raptors. And so I think stuff like that is neat in our language. And it shows, like, to me how old our language is because... Not only do we have a word for dinosaur, but we have a word for an actually a blue dinosaur. That's pretty wild. What what uh, mm. is there like a, a folklore or myths around? Let me you know before I even say that. Let me back up just a second because when I'm talking with someone who's got a, a cultural background far different from mine, I want to be careful about how I word my questions. So I wanted to talk to you about folklore mythology. But it occurred to me that maybe uh, what I'm thinking of as folklore mythology might be uh, an active, you know, religious belief or historical factual history, belief. Yeah. yeah. So I want to I want to make sure yeah. that I, you know what I what I'm talking about is the oral history of your people. But I I I, I want to make sure that we talk about it in a way that we're not dismissive of it. So I mean, like that's the thing when people call it myth or folklore, you know, they're sort of dismissing it as not real. Exactly, and you and know? I, what I, you know, and that's that's not fair because I have no idea how much of this is considered to be tradition, how much of this is considered to be active faith, that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's the thing is that you know. Um, you know, you asked about, like, our people and stuff. You know, about the Boston uh, Tea Party and the non-natives dressed up as Indians. Mm-hmm. Do you know why they dressed up as Indians? I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> because it was uh, uh, Elizabeth Tucker, who's an anthropologist, uh, theorized that they were making a political statement. That we had freedoms over here that they never had in Europe. And so they wanted to be Americans. They wanted to be free like we were. Because, like, under our great law of peace and stuff like that, we had autonomy that was never thought about over in Europe. That's why they got dressed as Indians. So it was kind of like a, a, a sign of, like, rebellion, freedom, kind of the don't tread on me kind of thing? Yeah. Back to what I was saying, though, I guess, what is the, uh, like, what is the traditional tribal religious system and, and how does folklore play into that? What 
how does or you know i mean we have what's called guy wheel which is the great word or the good word but to us we have no word in higher language for religion just a way of life and so it's just based on how you lived your life and so even like when i introduced myself and said you know Kano, what i'm really saying in our language is are you healthy are you at peace uh, if somebody's not at peace, they're healthy, then it's up to us as human beings to help them out to bring them back to peace. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy. UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. And so... Uh, Beautiful. We don't really have, like... We have ceremonies, we have dances and stuff like that. Some people consider that like the religion, but people that are engaged in our old ways of being just realize that every day that you're alive, is you're connected to the world around you. And it's not just some special place, you know. Like my grandfather, Shimon War, used to say, like, if he wanted to pray, he didn't need to go to a building. He just went out in the woods and prayed. And, uh, like we do, like... Um, what's called the Gnonyuk, the Thanksgiving address. And some people consider it a prayer, but I don't really consider it a prayer because all we're doing is giving thanks for everything in the world, from the water to the trees and to the wind, because without them, we don't survive. And that way, I guess, you know, um, like I said, we don't really have a religion. It's just uh, the most pertinent thing is Gnonyuk's head as to show love to everybody. That was what we were taught early on. Even those stories that I was talking about, like was an Oskawa, you know, certain men, certain people gave up their lives in order for the people to survive. 
because we have like another story uh it's about um do you know days uh which we call a mosquito now but the mm-hmm. mosquito came about because of a big monster and it, i always wondered about uh do you know days because it translates into like it has a big beak but i don't really think of a mosquito having a beak I think of it like a long nose um but when you listen to like stories that come from like corn planter from the 1700s and so on that when they talk about this big mosquito the wingspan of it was three men long i'm usually about the average height for an indian which is around six foot so it's about 18 feet long the width span uh it had a long uh beak and a lot of teeth in it that's a big mosquito (laughs) yeah (laughs) sounds like the ones around here uh and then like the feet looked like uh they had um arrows and so when i look at that and think about it it was like a pterodactyl kind of thing uh a pterosaur bird and so when they uh, so a couple of the men, what they did was they tied themselves down and then the pterodactyl tried to take them and ended up dying. But in the meantime, while the, the pterodactyl was attacking the guy, the other guys were attacking the pterodactyl. Because in our beliefs, there's like um, monsters or dinosaurs under the world. And he know uh, the thunder beings, they keep them down there like... Uh, you know, it would be like Thor, I guess, in uh, Viking lore. Yeah. Is it a, a deity or like a, 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 like a half? Like, a, is it a hero or, or is it a god? It's not really like a god or whatever. They're like, uh, we call them like our, our grandfathers. You okay. know, they're entities that are older than we are. Part of their helping us for humanity is to make sure that like, these dinosaurs and these big monsters stay under the ground and keep us safe. And so, like when lightning hits under the ground, it's thought that uh, maybe those dinosaurs are coming too close to the world, and they remind them to get back down there, and stay in those caves under the world. Yeah, but but are you talking about so under the ground? Is that like a hollow earth kind of thing? I guess so. I mean, that's yeah. sort of what they they talk about is that, you know, there's uh, when the creator and his brother nowadays, sometimes they try to compare them like good and evil. But to me, it was more like one was more like the yin and the yang. One was positive. One was negative. And so his brother, the creator's brother, tried to create things. And one of the things he ended up creating was monsters. Uh, like dinosaurs and it was killing people and the creator then put them underneath the world in this big cave so you know they keep them down there we have prophecies about the thunder being is coming from the east and there'll be a big storm like there was never before a storm like this and once that storm is gone or gone through they'll go away for a while and then those big monsters will come up from under the earth because they they won't be around to keep them down. And so when I was young, people didn't think, they think that was going to happen. But now where these tornadoes and hurricanes and all that happening in the east, on coming in more and more onto the onto the east coast, you know, 
we wonder if those prophecies might happen in one day or maybe it's like a big hurricane or something that comes through our territory does your lore have like a, a apocalyptic kind of predictions out there or are there are, is there a yeah. yeah how does that what's that like the first time you know like humanity happened there was a big fire and that destroyed a lot of things and then there was the dew eagle that saved us and then the next time there was uh ice and that froze the world and killed a lot of people and the last time there was a big flood uh, that's why in our language we're known as Anundawatga, people of the Great Hill, because there was a flood at one time and our people survived it by, uh, what is it, had rained for, what did it say, 90 days, something like that anyways, and uh, they were on this big hill and uh, survived it anyway, so a woman from the south comes with corn and gives them corn to eat. Because at a certain point, they didn't have anything to eat. They were eating the bark off from trees. When they didn't have that, then they were starving. But like I said, then the woman comes from the south and gives them corn to eat anyways. Nowadays, we have a, a practice of saying Yahweh when we get done eating, which is giving thanks to that. Uh, but it all goes back to the, when there was that major flood. And the leader at the time said that they knew what it was to be without food. So they would always be thankful for it. And so we're supposed to, in Guy Wheel, there's prophecies by Handsome Lake. And it was in like 1799 that he made some of these prophecies. And so some of them is that, you know, the trees will die from the top down. We see that now. And animals uh, uh, being born deformed-wise. And see some of the chemicals and everything that's in the water with uh, animals being deformed. Some of the diseases that they talk about is coming about anyway. Bird flu and all that. It sounds to me was some of those prophecies. And then we'll go into like the fourth world. Some people will survive, some people won't. But that was why we have these prophecies is to help us know that it was all in the plan, I guess. Yeah. Or how to survive it. I guess I guess most prophecies do that. They give you, uh, you know, maybe they give you something to worry about, something to prepare for, but also give you a mm-hmm. context, you know. So yeah. Well, I guess we invited you on uh, at, the, at the suggestion of Brad Lockwood. I guess. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, he said that you might be able to talk to us uh, uh, some about the monsters uh, and uh, sort of uh, yeah. that sort of element within your. Uh, your people's stories and so ghost legends yeah and all kinds other. of stuff so you know i, I we we I, I guess we're we're limited in time but i wanted to kind of find out uh a little bit about uh the kind of monsters that i guess I, i'd be interested in monsters that people think are literally true and monsters that people think are maybe more representative and and uh and and yeah and, and and something about how your your people deal with ghosts and uh, th- that's that kind of stuff. Sort of like what you call like Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. We call them the stone giants, but they weren't really um, beings made from stone. They either um, their skin was sticky or they put tar on their skin and they rolled their uh, youth in like sand and uh, other things. And over time, uh, they wore this like armor of uh, a stone on them. I think you guys would call them like Bigfoot. And so they would eat people and 
in one of our stories, there was a big meteor. Meteors were striking the world. Those those are human beings at one point, but then they changed. And like I said, they had like the sticky substance to their skin. So when I was young, that's what I think more people thought of like the stone giants as being that, but there were there were another being anyways that um, loved and, you know, had relationships and sometimes they helped us and sometimes they caused a lot of chaos. And I, like for, for G-Scan Ghost, one of the things like in our way of being, it's sort of like, um, you ever uh, watch uh, Ghost Whisperer, the TV series? Yeah, I think I've seen some Which, of it. So she like talks to the ghosts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that story is sort of like how we believe the world is that when the creator made us he made us to walk on the earth and to touch the earth and when you die you don't touch the earth anymore so you have to go on to another place and so uh when we uh when our uh, oh, people oh die, sorry just yes i have seen it. that's jennifer love hewitt's show got it okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, so yeah, a lot of our beliefs is, is like that, where you know, uh, people that are passed on, they can have a good or bad influence on humanity, and mm-hmm. so that's why they need to go on to wherever we came from. Because like in our way of talking about like the soul, the spirit of a human being, it's called um, a twice hat, and so part of like on the top of your head, that soft spot. That's where the spirit from heaven comes. There's another strand that's the physical part of this world, the earth. And then uh, part of it, too, there's another strand that's the uh, spirit of this planet. And when those three things were combined together and the creator made people, and he blew life into them, it lit a fire up. And so when death comes, it puts out that fire. And... um, that's why people go cold and stuff. Um, but I remember we were, um, I used to work in men's ceremonial before I was the director. So mm-hmm. it was part of our job to make sure our ceremonies happen the way they're supposed to. And uh, So we were talking about uh, the graphic novel Red Mars. No, you guys ever read that? You like but, the Kim Stanley Robinson? Yeah. Yeah, and so I've got the novel. You know, I haven't read the, the graphic novel version, but yeah. Okay. So basically, natives go to live on Mars, and the corporation pollute this planet, and then decided to go over there and take over that planet. Uh, but what we were discussing, in anyways, was uh, Ungwe is what we call a human being, and we wondered whether or not there would be Ungwe, whether they'd be a human being. Because, like I said, part of what makes us a human being is the spirit of this planet. And so if they're born on Mars, then they wouldn't be the spirit of this planet, but be the spirit of that planet. So we wondered what kind of being they would be. That's sort of similar to some of the theories or, or beliefs that, that people have um, about uh, UFOs and, and aliens. They're similar beliefs to, to that amongst the Seneca people. Well, sort of. I mean, we have the sky beings, you know, there's the sky world. And so every once in a while they come down, uh, like with Gaia Wheel, there were the, the three beings and 
and they're from the sky world. It's hard to say whether or not it's from like a, well, because like when we talk about when people die, they go to towns that they, and towns that sort of like an, another planet or something. And one of our stories about creation, there was a sky world. When Sky Woman fell, there was a tree that was in the sky world that lit up the sky. When they pulled the tree, I always thought of it as like a cave kind of dark crevice. But in um, John uh, Armstrong's version of our creation story, uh, when the tree was pulled up from the sky world, there was a green, there was a white light with a green light in the middle. So it sounds to me more like a wormhole kind of thing. My sci-fi guy mm-hmm. gets it to me, and then she go. They throw her through the hole, and she comes to this world. Because even in like our, like I said, we have like spatial recognitions. Yeah. But uh, have in English, so like when we do the Ganonio, or like my version of the Ganonio, and Bawajanto is the word I use for the Ganonio, and it's sort of like. I take a fishing hook and I throw it from this realm into the spiritual realm and pull into this realm the Thanksgiving address. And so it's sort of like um, different dimensions. Because like okay. in some of all history stories, we talk about little people. Um, and so I don't know if they're dwarves or what they are, but when you, you hear some of the stories about this little boy or little girl gets uh taken by the little people to their village the sky is different it's like a reddish color the child might stay there for like three days but when they come back to the village it's like 50 years later yeah so So that's that's interesting so Mm -hmm. do you know how old those stories are no one knows how old those stories are i mean uh, some of the things that we do you know it could be a millennia ago it's it's hard to say. But you, you say, think they, uh, they predate European contact? Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. So I always just uh, find that interesting because the, the stories of little people and uh, the ideas of uh, like, you know, in, what, what in Europe would be like, you know, the fairy folk. There's there's so many similarities yeah. uh, across the world with those kind of stories. When we talk about little people, there's three different variations of them. They're very tiny ones. And then there's other ones that are maybe maybe like six feet or six inches tall. But then there's other um, little people that are like about the size of like a two-year-old child or something. And then they have different duties. I guess they'd be interdimensional, I guess, is what you would call it nowadays. Like I said, like they can come into our realm, but then be in their realm too. We we talk about that a lot in the folklore we discuss. Uh, uh, is well, I shouldn't say folklore either because some people say it's stuff that's really happened to them. But uh, ultra dimensional is uh, one of the terms we're using a lot now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but this same like the eyes to see them, or some people because even nowadays some people say they see them. I remember once when I was talking at uh, University of Buffalo at the we were talking about the little people, and I said, well. Some people are colorblind, but it doesn't mean that there's not color, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, some people see little people and other ones don't. I don't know if it's genetics or, you know, in the blood or what. But uh, just because not everybody sees them doesn't mean that it's not true. So you mentioned uh, someone had uh, written some of these things down. Can If, if our listeners want to learn more about uh, 
Seneca stories, where where should they go? Like, can you recommend something that kind of Jesse Cornpiner, his books, Legends of the Longhouse, Arthur Parker, he's written, you know, different ones. Um, in some of the stories, you know, we thought people had died, and then they pop up, and then they start eating people. So they're sort of like vampires in our stories. So even nowadays, like when we uh, have a wake for the person we have two people uh, two men that aren't related to that person you know stay with them all the time overnight and everything so and it just goes back to those stories about when people came back from the dead basically it's not sort of like the vampire like in dracula but it's sort of that so yeah there's a concern that someone could come back as a a vampire-like creature then and and cause harm yeah, and they sort of like are cannibals. They go to eat people. So okay. it's, it's more a, ghoulish, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, frightening take on that. Just like the the equivalent of Bigfoot uh, eating people. That's yeah. different. I was just going to change topic a little bit because we're starting to draw to a, a close of our time. Um, just to hear a little bit more about the new museum, uh, can you tell us a bit about some of the artifacts and the exhibits that you have there? Well, we have right now, over the last 40 years, uh, we have over 11,000 items in our collection. Like, we have a pot that's 800 AD, and we have different baskets. You name it, uh, we have arrowheads and all that kind of stuff, but we have beaver. Um, everything that we have in our collection, we've preserved the best that we can. But now that we have the new building, it's all temperature controlled and environmentally and so we're looking at repatriating more things. You know, uh, talk with uh, New York State Museum. They just got back the corn panner piece pipe that was stolen over 70 years ago. Mm. They heard about our new cultural center and are looking at uh, repatriating that back to us. And so That's now that we piece. have the facilities, all the requirements, looking at getting a lot of things returned back to us. We made sure the building was set, so in case we wanted, like, one of our original treaties uh, from the Sonian, that it meets all the requirements that they they require. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy about us being able to get back things that, maybe things that we didn't even know about. On the outside of the museum, we're looking at one of the statues being uh, a trail tree. My ancestors used to bend the trees to go along with the path, and it was sort of like a destination sign. They would have certain marks on it in case they wanted water in a certain way or a spiritual site or something like that. You could just tell by looking at the tree what was in that on that path. Oh, it's very exciting. You're going to get uh, some of these artifacts back. I mean, there are certainly lots of cases historically of I think, English and uh, German archaeologists who stolen artifacts from Egypt and other places and it was still on display in museums in those countries and and they haven't got them back so that's really good news yeah Yeah. and proper preservation techniques and that sort of thing to keep Mm -hmm. them around for generations to come what does it cost to uh, view the museum uh nine dollars for an adult and five bucks for a kid any kids under seven years old for free. Uh, elders are four bucks. So, and then sometimes we have big events where we just don't have an admission. And then there's usually like uh, the third Saturday in October, we're going to do Spooktacular Family Fun Day. Oh, neat. And so it's like a Halloween kind of theme, in which one of the things that we do is long nose. And long nose is more like uh, 
sort of like the boogeyman. So when kids were bad, long nose would come and taste them and eat them. Yeah. So yeah, long nose could be the booger man too. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I guess we're all out of time. I feel like we just lightly scratched the surface. I mean, this uh, that, that mm-hmm. my I, there's so much here to talk about, and uh, that we don't. I don't personally have any. Really, I mean, thank you for helping me learn a little bit about this. We'll put some links into the show notes um, for how to get to the museum and uh, to these books. And uh, if you don't mind, if you think of any other books you'd like us to link to, uh, if you could email those to us, we'll add those to the show notes as well. And um, could, I guess for our final question, we'd like to ask our guests, um, what's your favorite monster? Uh, I guess it would be Long Nose. All right. So, so what, tell us oh, about Long Nose. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, like when kids were bad. Yeah. Uh, the, actually, the men used to wear like a mask and like take him or her and uh, chase him around during the night in the village and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> did that ever happen to you? Did your parents? No, that, happened to me. that was the thing is that traditionally, because like we don't spank people or our kids, you know, we either give them water, like uh, dug them in water, or we use like the red whip. Or we use like long nose, but it's hard to use long nose nowadays because the street lights. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> spoils the effect, right? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to come with darkness or whatever. Usually there's street lights everywhere. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, even uh, we have what's called the uh, our puppet show, and we have long nose as one of the. Characters, anyways, in our in our show, and usually the non-native kids get more scared than the native kids, actually, with it. I think it's really uh, cool. Out of all the monsters in the world, Long Nose is the one you picked. But <laughs> yes, very nice pun there. <laughs> well, well, David, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today and uh, introduce yeah, me, you, at least, and, and I'm sure many of our listeners to uh, a, a little taste of your culture. That's awesome. And congratulations on the new museum as well. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard an interview with David Shango discussing Seneca legends and beliefs. David represents the Seneca Nation Museum in Salamanca, New York, where they just opened a large new facility with many culturally important exhibits. Find more information in our show notes at monstertalk.org. If you make it up to the museum, be sure and drop by our Facebook group and let us know how it went. Monster Talk's an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed on this show represent the opinions of the host and the guest and may not reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. 
And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Save the date for a colossal PsyCon 2018. Bigger venue, bigger stars, bigger ideas, bigger fun. Las Vegas, October the 18th to the 21st, 2018. PsyCon is already one of the planet's premier skeptical conferences where hundreds of critical thinkers come to Las Vegas, the city of illusions, to hear from the leading lights of science and skepticism. For 2018, we want PsyCon to be bigger than ever. We've even booked a bigger hotel. Come to Las Vegas at the Westgate Resort and Casino to see the brilliant and hilarious Stephen Fry on stage with Richard Dawkins. An opening night talk by Stephen Pinker on the ideas behind his new book, Enlightenment Now. The triumphant return of James the Amazing Randy. Plus, New York Times science writer Carl Zimmer, psychologist and memetics expert Susan Blackmore, the Psybabe Yvette Dontremont, virologist and advocate for science-based medicine Paul Offit, and many, many more, along with comic musician George Rubb, serving as Master of Ceremonies, a magic show from Banachek, author book signings, and of course, a Halloween costume party. It's true, conspiracy theorists, quacks peddling fake medicine, and the deniers of evolution, climate change, and vaccine science are bigger threats than ever. With PsyCon 2018, let's show them that they have just met their match. We'll see you in Las Vegas. For more information and to book your tickets, visit csiconference.org. That's psiconference.org. Monster Talk theme music by Pete Stealing Monkeys, and we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to Monster Talk and hope that you'll share the show with your friends. For more skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skeptic, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.